This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Hey there, Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance here, and this is the Earn Your Edge podcast, where we're going to try something that we haven't done before here. We've got my fellow co-host, Cameron McCormick here, joining us. G'day there. And we have a guest that you are probably very familiar with, Chris Solomon, maybe better known as Solly from No Laying Up. Chris, thanks for being with us, man. Corey, Cameron, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably at least a, a 95% overlap in our audience and the No Laying Up audience because we've got a lot of golfers that pay attention to, to what we do. So we won't spend too much time in the introductions, but we'll hopefully be telling your story a little bit throughout our, our conversation. And if as a starting point, if as succinctly as possible, you could describe No Laying Up and what your role there is for anyone that's been living under a rock in the golf world, how would you describe it? Man, there's like a, there's probably like a 20 minute version of the story. And then there's like a two minute. Yeah. Do, do the I'll two just, minute, do the I'll two minute. I'll try to do that one. Yeah. Uh, I think the 21 provides a little bit more context, but the two is basically that, uh, some friends and I, and that are college, college buddies who are better known as big Randy and Tron Carter on our site. We have this like text thread that just was about all sports. Any sports wasn't just golf. And it was the stuff that those guys would come up with. It was just too good to not share it with the world. So we kind of saw a little gap in the way golf was covered on the golf channel and every other, you know, media outlet and just said, look, there's, there's space here for people to talk about golf the way they would if they were sitting next to each other at a bar and kind of a space for more authentic conversation and, you know, some irreverence and kind of crossing over pop culture. And, you know, with that, we, we started a Twitter account it was slow growth on that. And then we, uh, we brought in Tron's brother, uh, Neil, to kind of help us launch our website. We did that in the beginning of 2014. From there, we kind of f- somehow bootlegged, figured out a way to record a podcast and started doing that very intermittently. And uh, back then, there just wasn't a whole lot of other people doing golf podcasts. And we found out pretty quickly that players were making themselves available to sit down and talk for 45 minutes to an hour about you know, their lives and their careers. And uh, with that, it just kind of spiraled and it turned into something that we didn't really expect. We all had main jobs. This was all just kind of a side hobby. And uh, once we kind of started getting some of the bigger names on, the sponsors started calling and we were able to kind of work our way backwards, backdoor it and turning into into a business. And uh, this is our first full year doing it really as a business. And it's been uh, some, at least somewhat successful. The, uh, the internet that we're speaking of right now, the bills are being paid there. And uh, I can talk into a microphone that we paid for with cash and it's working right now. So we'll see how long it lasts. I hope it, I hope it continues, but that's kind of uh, the short version of the story of how we got to where we are today. And Sully taking that, that big dive off the, the diving board into the unknown water of, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to ditch my gig and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were living in Amsterdam working, weren't you at the time? How, how did you deal I with was, uh, yeah. the fear, the trepidation that maybe I can only imagine would come along with doing something that's totally out of, I guess the conventional out of left field. It was quite a leap. You know, what actually helped me was uh, I did, I worked for KPMG in Chicago for six years and got the opportunity to move to Amsterdam and work in our office there. And uh, I'm not going to say they were kicking me out, but I had already extended my, my secondment over there in Amsterdam as long as I could. And they were pushing me back to Chicago and uh, kind of put me at a decision point there. It was like, really, do I, do I want to go back to 
to the to the comfort of a job, uh, you know, pay a four hundred one k and expense account and all the things that came with, you know, potentially a pending partnership with the company, or do I want to go take another risk? I mean, it was a risk kind of moving over there and giving up what life I had in Chicago and going traveling the world and learning a whole bunch of things and being away from family and friends and kind of changing who I was as a person kind of gave me the courage, I guess, to come back and take the leap uh, when coming back here. And it was uh, it was kind of taught me that you can go do a lot of different things with life once you've kind of taken the a, a leap that shows your, the path you're on doesn't have to be the path that you stay on forever. That was kind of what gave me the courage to, to do it. And the support of my partners is what helped make it happen too. They you know, we scraped together the pennies to, for me to, how expensive it was for me to move in my parents' basement for five months. Uh, <laughs> nice. but we were able to make it work financially for a short period of time. And then, you know, we have some amazing partners that have kind of helped us build, uh, build this out to where we have basically four, four full-time people now and uh, helps us dedicate our time to hopefully making some interesting stuff for our audience. Nice. So, I mean, it sounds like the timing was just pretty good with where you were in your job and moving, but what were the signals from an audience that there might be some appetite for what you were doing, the content that you guys were creating? Obviously, it was a leap of faith and you had to have courage to do it, but were there any signals that you paid attention to or maybe even a tipping point that the audience kind of communicated, well, you know, not only is there interest, but it might be able to sustain what could be an actual business? Yeah, you know, it was when we were initially doing the podcast, it was, uh, I mean, there were not a lot of listeners, but, you know, we would go maybe a few weeks without doing one, and I just would get a random message saying, hey, like, I kind of like your guys' uh, conversations. Like, they're really dumb, don't get me wrong, but, like, I can kind of relate to that nature, and I really enjoy you guys talking about golf and be like, yeah, you know what? Like, okay, maybe there is something here, because, you know, doing it and seeing, you know, 58 people downloaded your podcast was kind of like, it was, it was kind of like, all right, what are we really doing here? We're just speaking into the, into the abyss. Here. We don't know anything about that, Sully. <laughs> I can't possibly relate to that. Well, that's what, but that's kind of the context is, is, you know, that was a long, long period of time for us. And, you know, I got a lot of people reach out and say like, I'm trying to get this off the ground. How do I do it? How do I do it? It's like, man, I wish I had the answer. Like it worked for us. And I don't, I don't know why or how we had the discipline to keep doing it probably because it was just fun. I just kind of enjoyed talking about golf. I always dreamed of having a job in sports and it didn't really matter to us how many people were really listening to it. It was just kind of like the idea was put your nose to the grind, keep doing it, keep doing it. And if you have this kind of portfolio built up that, you know, when somebody discovers you, they can look back and be like, oh, wow, they've done this. Oh, they did this. And this is kind of just to show that they're not a flash in the pan. And that's kind of what I think people kind of struggle to do is, is understanding that if you're not getting immediate reaction to what you're doing, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. It's good to also kind of get some reps out. I mean, I would, I would, I don't want to go back and listen to podcast number 10 or whatever to hear what I was saying. Like, I'm sure I learned a lot along the way that I'm kind of thankful. Not a lot of people were listening back then. And, you know, it, it honestly took until I found out that Roy McElroy listened to the podcast and that, uh, when he was a guest on it, he came on and said that he thought kind of what we were doing was somewhat of the future in golf media. That was the signal point to me. The one that I kind of point back to being like, Whoa, like I didn't really know what we had. And looking back, it was also a really good thing. It was kind of just, it was probably allowed me to say more things to, to think that nobody was listening. Right. And after that, I think I got a little protective of the things that I've said. And I've kind of tried to find this balance of making sure I explain myself very clearly because it can get kind of out of hand. People can take things the wrong way, et cetera. So uh, that's kind of what I, what I point to and just seeing 
you know, the people that, that were fans of us were really hardcore. We were like, knew a lot about us and like read every single word. It might not have been a lot of them, but we were kind of like, listen, if we have, you know, are able to generate this kind of interest, there might be something there. And I think we just kind of got lucky with timing of when it happened and that nobody else was really doing this yet. I don't think we're necessarily very special other than we worked really hard and we kind of timed it right. So in that regard, I'm, I'm very thankful for what we have and it's been a hell of a ride. It's been so much fun to do. Yeah, well, I want to speak a little bit to what you brought up there about the having kind of like this diehard audience. And I, I read in an interview where you said that even if it wasn't for everyone, if you didn't have the biggest kind of largest quantity of audience, you wanted it to be kind of like this diehard fan. And that's certainly similar to what our ethos is at Altus, where we're coaching. It's the coaching and the content that we have is not for everybody. It's for a certain type of player that is kind of aligned with us philosophically. So we, we certainly um, relate to that. My, my question is outside of the fact that you're creating some unique content, meaning that the things that you create is not exactly what you're going to find on golf.com or, or golf digest, or maybe other avenues. Certainly that's a way that you've distinguished no laying up. Do you think that you've done anything else or what actions, what steps do you think that you've done well at in kind of creating that engaged audience, that audience that is kind of diehard, that is hanging on every piece of content that you create is a curiosity that we have. Yeah. You know, I've, I've actually found that the larger the audience gets, sometimes it makes it less fun and that it be, you kind of by nature just kind of lose perspective on the hardest core fan and that, you know, you, a lot of the feedback you get sometimes is, as, as, you know, supportive as most of our fans are. The people that kind of come in late and are on the fringe that may not understand the full context of something we say and don't understand that like this is a joke when we say this, like we don't literally mean this and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of becomes the loudest voice that you hear in your ear and you can kind of lose lose perspective on you know trying to deliver to that hardest core fan. It, it's amazing to me how different some of the reactions are. I mean, I'll go read some comments online or something that just as somebody's like, ah, oh, you know, I hate when they do a travel podcast. Nobody cares about your stupid trip. And the next person will say, I, those are the only ones I've listened to. I think they sound like idiots when they talk about the PGA tour. So it's so hard to just kind of be, to, to not imagine that while you're doing it and think about like, all right, who is this serving? Is this informative and is it entertaining? And that's the two, the two questions we always ask ourselves. And if it doesn't meet that t- two criteria, we don't post it or we don't sure. you know, pursue that, pursue that. And so that's kind of the question It's in knowing that you're not going to have something resonate with everybody. You know, there's people that are annoyed by me and love big Randy and Neil. And then there's the opposite in that regard too. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's one of the things that's hard to balance once, uh, we've reached kind of the size that we were fortunate to have reached is that you got to be able to block out, you know, some of the negativity that comes with it. And that's a challenge every single day because you got to have confidence in what you're doing and that it's, uh, that it's reaching the hardcore fan and some of your best fans. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. You mentioned there the size you're at right now, 171 episodes in, I think, by my latest count. It took me a while to count them, which you'd be awfully proud of. We're in episode 18, and I think that you mentioned one of the litmus tests of uh, success in terms of should we put something out there. What would you uh, accurately pinpoint with a a couple of the early learning 
moments, if you will, the the mistakes that you made that um, I guess you could say make you cringe the most now when you look back at them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's uh, it's inherently it's hard to say, but it's like, all right, if you're going to be engaged with this person or whatever, whoever it might be, you know, it might be a player, it might be, you know, a different media organization or something. It's, it's that you're going to be inherently tied to that person, right? So if you have a player on that has a, you know, and they give a great interview and whatnot, and you can kind of somewhat seem like a fan of that, of that player. And it turns out that player is like really not a very good guy. And, you know, you've shined this great light on them. Like you're kind of tied to that. And that's kind of something I think we've learned is like, you know, just because someone works in golf or has done something, it's like, you know, I would not necessarily do you have them on and, and kind of tie yourself to it when you're trying to do something that's so different than what anybody else out there is doing. Don't have people on maybe that are, you know, falling into that, that abyss, I, I guess. So a bit, say. Of a, so, bit of a discerning eye. Yeah. You just kind of got to be, just be selective on who you, who you work with and, and uh, everything in that regard. And we've been kind of a bit fortunate with that. We have so many, so many of my good friends I've made in golf have, you know, I pick up the phone and have them on at 1 a.m. after a major to talk about uh, whatever just happened just because they enjoy talking about it. So you kind of, you get, but there's no way to know that without, you know, going through that and learning. And uh, we've definitely been more, we've had more hits than we have misses in that regard. But, you know, it's also just, uh, sometimes you can just forget that a lot of people listen to it and you can say something that's pretty, you know, if you say something wrong on there and it's posted, you you got to listen to 50 people tell you how right. they, hey, no, you're factually wrong there. And that's something I've learned is you got to have notes. You got to if you want to say a fact on there, like it's got to be factual and you can't, you know, claim that uh, I did just did the other week. I said Bell Reeve had small greens because I read that somewhere and there was a typo in the article that I read that it actually <laughs> had large greens. And like, shit, I got to listen to how many people say this to me. Like, actually, the greens are huge. I'm like, ah, I know. So. It is just kind of like a understanding that, you know, for some reason, and I'm still trying to figure that out, your words may have meaning. And if you're not careful with how they're said, then it can get really get yourself in a decent amount of trouble. Right. So speaking, I guess, a little bit further to that learning process, I assume that there are very little overlap in the skills that it takes to be successful at KPMG and the skills required to build and operate a digital content company, which basically maybe looking broader than just the podcast, but all the different channels that you guys are creating content towards, you know, what are the one or two or three skills that you feel like you had to learn that you had to acquire that because this isn't something that you kind of grew up doing or, or pursued an education to, to learn how to do? What were the, the skills that you think that you've acquired that have been the most important kind of in the last couple of years? That's a really good question. And you're right that the, a lot of the specific skills don't translate over very well from, from my previous job. I had no idea how to, you know, fly a drone or edit a video or, you know, record audio. And some people will say, I still don't know how to record audio. And one thing that did carry over was just working in client services before helped me understand business relationships. And, you know, if you're providing a service to somebody, how to deliver on that and how to interact with clients that, you know, are supporting you with whether that be financial resources or just, you know, anything they do and understanding those relationships that has helped a lot. Uh, working in teams too. I worked in teams and I work now with this team every single day and you have to balance, you know, input from everyone on, on decisions and, uh, you know, kind of figuring out a way to actually work in a room together and not distract each other, et cetera. But the, the biggest thing for me was, was kind of learning that 
listen, anyone that does shoots a video or edits a video or edits a podcast or records audio, like learned how to do that from somewhere. It's not like some magical skill that you just are born with. I think it's like you got it. So I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching people, watching a lot of videos to like learn what resonates with people and also watching tutorials on, hey, if you want to shoot this, you have to do it this way. And, you know, here's how to get the best audio quality for your podcast, et cetera. So it's kind of the ability to teach yourself some things and be self-sufficient to be like, all right, yeah, I don't know how to do this effect on some video, but like I need to go out and learn that and not throw my hands up and say, oh, I can't do that. It's like, no, like go learn a new skill, go learn how to do this. And kind of uh, when you don't have anyone to delegate things to, like we, when I used to have interns and, you know, a staff under me when I was a manager in my previous job. And now it's like, dude, if you want to, you know, put together this presentation for a sponsor or, you know, a partner, you got to do it yourself and you got to figure out how to format it and you got to do all that. And there's nowhere to hide on this. So that's probably one of the things I think I've maybe learned the best is like, there's no, I'm reaching a dead end. I guess is it's not a dead end because when you reach the dead end, go ask somebody for a question, go ask somebody for help, go figure out somewhere, some way how to do it and don't just assume that you can't do it. And I'm kind of excited about where we're going on that front and what we've learned in that front and and, uh, reactions to what we've done and how we can kind of expand on some of the things we've learned. Cool. Miss Holly, in the the coaching world, in fact, I guess in the business world as well, you know, this very well. The discussion of competitive advantage, discussion of differentiators uh, is a discussion that we have with our clients that we try and coach to um, some pretty amazing achievements. And you guys have certainly established yourself as a leader in the podcast world. And as as Corey mentioned in the uh, digital content world, what do you feel like are those differentiating factors that allow you to uh, or will allow you to continue to, I guess, lead the way? Uh, that's a good question. question. And it's, it's something, something that, that um, I, I feel like I've said that after every one. You guys are really throwing out some good questions. A bunch questions of great questions as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, got to have the ability to evolve. And, you know, when we started doing the podcast, I, I felt like I don't know the number there are, but I feel like there's a new golf podcast coming up pretty much every week now. And it's like, for us, it's that's not a market inefficiency anymore. As much as we want to keep growing the podcast and evolving on that front and doing different things, and we have actually the time to support it now, we got to be looking ahead to what is the other inefficiency in the market and what are people not doing and not dedicating resources to. And for us, I'm not sure that gap really is still fully there, but video, I think, is still a, a you know a storytelling technique that we can continue to to evolve and to grow on, but. It's also a, probably a reason why a lot of people are not uh, doing and dedicating a lot of resources to video is one, it's expensive. And two, it is very time consuming compared to, you know, what, what goes into a six to eight to 10 minute video versus what goes into an hour podcast. It's probably a hundred X behind the scene as far as production and all the time that goes into it on a per minute basis. But that's kind of where things need to go next. And it's got to be, you know, as soon as we start to feel people catching up on that regard or, or whatnot, we got to evolve into the next thing. And I don't know what that is yet, but it's always got to be a finger on the pulse and and always asking yourself, is this different than other things that are going on out there? Or is this going to make us start blending in with, with, uh, with, you know, the, the staples of the golf media world. And if the answer is, you know, yes, it is different. That's probably something we'll try to pursue. If it's different, interesting and entertaining, then let's go with it. So it is uh it's a challenge and i I don't know exactly where it's going to be i don't know what i'm going to be doing next week uh but we try to make ourselves flexible and uh move things around to be able to to be able to do things at all hours i mean i spend i edit podcasts myself and if it's after a 
you know, a late event, it'll be till two or three in the morning on a Sunday after, you know, working 16 hours that day, but that's just how it's got to be done sometimes. And you're afforded some luxuries by doing that. Sometimes I can play golf on a Wednesday if I want to, but uh, at the same time, I think a lot of people don't know. I'm not, I'm not speaking to two of them, I don't think, but a lot of people don't know what goes in on the back end on a lot of these things. Even hearing you kind of talk through some of the reasons why you feel like you've been successful, there are a ton of parallels in what I'm hearing, those skills and traits to the golfers that we speak to, you know, the the discipline, the doing more work, the kind of stick to itness that's required to, you know, achieve anything important. And another one of the one of the themes that pops up when we've talked to players in interviews is that they're all like just hyper competitive. And it's one piece that we are really interested in exploring uh, as coaches. And to, well, is this a piece that we should be cultivating, nurturing, and players because we see it as a common thread? So I'm curious, you know, you, because just because you've mentioned a lot of those those disciplines and traits that we're we're hearing from high performers, do you feel like? competitiveness has been important to you and why you guys are successful and who who do you feel like whether that be friendly competition or whatever who are you most competitive with huh. uh that is a very good question yeah, um, just keep it up i we, like this we definitely uh we definitely i am very competitive i'm competitive against you know if if we're going bowling if we're you know doing some dumb four-man game i could just i'm very competitive and we do kind of keep an eye on other things that are going on in the industry. And I mentioned you guys earlier, like I stopped listening to golf podcasts actually, because I felt like Except I was ours, getting, your diehard listeners are ours yeah. and you have not missed a single episode. <laughs> I'm not saying I got competitive on that front, but, uh, I feel like we've kind of had our identity on the podcast and just, I wanted to put my head down and continue with that. But video, I like to watch what other people are doing and creating and saying, you know, we might see something pop up that, we are working on and, and it's like, ah, damn it. They beat us to it. But then it's like, all right, let's do it better than them. Like we can do this better. We can, we can, here's where they went wrong or blah, blah, blah. And we are a lot, very competitive on that front. We do, but at the same time, like we are, you know, big supporters of anyone in the golf world that's creating what we think is good content, right? It does, not all of the great content in golf doesn't have to come from us. We're happy to share links to, and if we read a good article on any golf website, we'll share that instead of, you know, some of the main golf websites will take a headline or a good story and aggregate it, turn it into their own on their website. Well, we don't do that. We just kind of say like, hey, as much as we disagree with a lot of stuff Golf Digest does, like, hey, here's a great Golf Digest article. And what I think that does is kind of earn up a bit of trust within your listeners that you're not just trying to spam them with your own stuff. It's like a recognition that they can come to us for good content, whether it comes from us or whether it comes from a different source. And we're closely tied with uh, Andy Johnson over at the fried egg, who I think just does amazing work and has kind of changed the way I think about golf courses and strategy and things like that. And, you know, some people think that we are, we have no vested business interest in each other's companies, but we are just kind of supporters of each other because we think he's kind of taken our approach towards another more specific gap in the industry, which is related to golf courses. And, and so in that regard, we do get kind of, sometimes we get lumped in with some, some people in the industry that we would prefer not to. And I will obviously won't name names, but I think that, you know, a lot of people can kind of assume what we do is very frat bro and, uh, irreverent and rough around the edges and doesn't contain a lot of substance. And when we get compared to any other entities that are kind of like that, it's kind of really, really frustrating to be honest, because we strive to always be like, there has to be something underneath it. And, and it's, it, we, the best compliment we, compliments we've gotten is, you know, I, 
watched one of your videos and I thought it was going to be this, but it actually turned out to be a lot of cool history on this golf course and was a really good look at it. We're like, yes, thank you. Like, that's exactly what we're going for. A lot of people don't necessarily look at it that way and they just kind of blindly, you know, take in content, whatever, from several different sources and kind of assume that we are as one or kind of similar and that and some of that stuff does kind of uh does kind of bother me at a certain point i could understand that completely a desire for to be known to the authentic unique identity that you guys feel like you have so i can appreciate that and as i guess both of us here um would echo that from what we own, we do ourselves as well going back to something you mentioned earlier one of those questions you ask yourself is what we're about to do different and therefore worth uh, time, effort, energy to put into it. When you guys released uh, Tour Source on the um, on the website, I, I thought that was massively unique, different, engaging. And so the question I've got for you is a bit of a pivot and, it, and you can answer it as quick as you want or you can tell stories behind it. For all of you in the office, what's the Tour Source behavior that you most frequently use? <laughs> uh, in my own game, are you saying? Yeah, exactly. In your own game, and the games um, of uh, the guys at the office. Yeah, the Wolfhammer game. What do you see most like m uh, most frequently used tour sauce? I used to be a serial club twirler until I saw how many videos I was club twirling, and I'm like, dude, you just you look like a douche. <laughs> a little self awareness, yeah. The Miss Green. Club I would kind of do it ironically, but like after a while, I was like, dude, I don't know if this is kind of coming off ironically. I think people might think that you're you're really serious. Uh, that whole tour sauce thing kind of came from some buddies of mine we grew up with playing. We just would just act like tour pro idiots in front of each other and just kind of one up each other, like tapping down imaginary spike marks and, uh, you know, wayward drive pointing when there's no marshals up ahead was kind of the stem of, uh, of a funny series of jokes that, you know, I actually, the other day I got, I got a lot of crap from the, the guys that I had identified a spike mark that was in my line before I hit the putt. <laughs> And it did hit the spike mark and missed. And that was the first time I ever really felt like I could justifiably blame a spike mark. But it, it didn't go over very well. They were very, uh, oh, you're the guy that makes fun of everyone for tapping out spike marks. And you just did it. So that's the one I'm probably, uh, I guess I'm most recently very guilty of. As far as the other guys, they don't they don't pull off too many saucy moves. I know Tron, though, we were out uh, a couple months ago at uh, Tim Aquana Country Club here in Jacksonville. Playing the eighth hole, and I swear to you, it was less than a second that ball was off his club face. He had an eight iron from one forty. It wasn't in the. It wasn't even close to its apex yet, and he just yelled, "Go in!" And it, <laughs> and it did. And no. I, I, no, I swear to Warranted. you, two hops and went in the hole. His first ever hole in one. And uh, a buddy of ours, Job, was alone. We were playing Wolfhammer, and he had already gone alone. And Tron made an ace against him. He lost a lot of money on one hole. But he had called his ace before it even reached its apex. And that that might have been the peak sauce moment of the year so far. <laughs> That's like like walking it in. If you walk enough putts in, eventually one will actually <laughs> yeah. drop. So, yeah, if you say go in enough, yeah. So give, give us a little bit more of the background of, of just kind of the division of labor between at the house. And what is the kill house? I am an avid listener. <laughs> I read, I follow the tweets. I still don't know exactly what the We're kill house is. We've speculated here yeah. internally yeah. as well. And it's exactly. probably not for, uh, not for everyone's ears. Yeah. What is yeah. the kill so, house? The kill house. Uh, so one it's named after. So back in, uh, I think around like the two seven, 2007 time period when Tiger was doing the, his peak Navy SEAL training, he, uh, he, where he did his training, he either, it was either called the kill house or he called it the kill house. And it was always one of our favorite things to just, you know, pretend that, or he, to imagine him playing like Call of Duty online and considering that his kill house. 
And so when we when uh, when I was getting ready to move down to Jacksonville, so two, so Tron and DJ Pajowski both lived here in uh, in Jacksonville, and I could kind of move anywhere after I moved home from from uh, Amsterdam. And they said, you know, Jacksonville is this very affordable place to live, and here's what rent costs, and I live a block from the beach, and blah blah blah. I kind of threw this idea, like, all right, what if we you know, I moved down there, but we rent a house that's like big enough for all of us to work in the downstairs. I'll live in the upstairs and we can just kind of turn that into our home office. That way we don't need to rent office space, blah, blah, blah. And we can work here every day. And DJ's riding his bike one day and saw this house that was up for rent. It's a block from the beach and said, hey, we can pay this, blah, blah, blah. We just had a friend of ours from New York City here who has a one-bedroom place in New York City. He pays more than what we pay for this house on a monthly basis. <laughs> Jacksonville, baby. Exactly. So we uh, we staged the downstairs like a studio in one corner, and, and we have a, a room upstairs that we use. As, we call it the solarium. It's the sunroom that people kind of, <laughs> kind of sit up there and work in. And uh, it just kind of spread out amongst the house. And we, we film stuff here, and we record stuff here, and it's just kind of our office slash slash home and big randy moved down here actually in april and he uh so he and i both live in two of the upstairs bedrooms and uh pay very affordable rent rates and uh that's how we're able to kind of make ends meet and uh we got a big uh big poster in here that everybody that enters the kill house comes in and signs and we've decorated it to kind of our, our goal was to decorate it like a tgi fridays for golf and uh to my liking, we've still got too much white space. We wanted zero white space. We wanted every ticket and every possible souvenir from every other event just hung up somewhere in the wall with no real rhyme or reason. We're getting there. By the time we get all the way there, we'll probably get kicked out by the landlord. But uh, it's been a fun, love uh, fun it. 90 sounds, so months here. Yeah, yeah, that sounds epic. And that was one like of my house. yeah, that was one of my questions. Was kind of it's odd to picture what your nine to five would be like because it's so unconventional. So like kind of behind the scenes, what that looks like. And you kind of answered it there, but as you're maybe prepping for a podcast, what does your preparation look like? Like what's the behind the scenes of, of how you're getting ready to, to interview like a guy like Rory or, or Justin or, or Dustin? Yeah. And that, that varies. And, you know, people always ask too, like, what's your, what's your typical day look like? And it's a kind of a corny answer to say it, but it's true. It's like, we don't really have typical days. I mean, some days we'll wake up at 10 because we were up till two. And then, you know, there's some days we're meeting at 7am or something like that. So it does vary the preparation process. Um, I think you can over-prepare and under-prepare. I try to, you know, type out some questions, at least have, have some main bullet points of things I know I want to cover you know, I, I, I prepare some notes of just like where people have won or where they've had close finishes and whatnot. Cause you never know in the middle of the conversation when you might want to reference, you know, Hey, at the 2015 open championship, you were in a playoff, Mark Leishman, what was that like? But you know, in, in the moment you might forget what year it is, or, you know, that one's memorable, but I'm a memorable one, but sometimes they're not. So having just notes in general and having an idea of where you want it to go, but not getting too tied to them and making sure you are listening to what people are saying. And if they say something like very noteworthy, asking a follow-up to that question or like, Hey, can you explain that more? I'd like to hear more about that instead of just moving on to the next topic. So it's a fine line. I've definitely had interviews where I'm just way too stuck on the questions. And I've had some where I'm like, Oh man, what else do I ask this guy? I'm not very well prepared. So, you know, I'll watch YouTube videos, try to find little clips of maybe a story they've told somewhere and, you know, maybe try to reverse engineer it to get them to tell a good, if I've heard a good, then tell a good story somewhere, try to get them to tell it again or in a different way or something like that. So yeah, I, I scour through YouTube and kind of read Wikipedia, obviously, and kind of get some of the basics and kind of, uh, I'll ask some friends to say, Hey, I've had so-and-so anything, you know, and they'll be, Oh, you got to ask them about the story. 
you know, his, he had this caddy in Mexico that did this and this. You got to get this out of him. So it's a long, a decently long research pro, uh, project. And uh, but I think it's kind of helped uh, help me improve as an interviewer. Still not quite to where I'd like to be, but it, uh, I would say I have improved. Who's been the, I guess, your favorite, your favorite guest so far and why? Oh, I get that one a decent amount. So we've had, you know, Jordan's been on the podcast. Justin Thomas has been on three times. Rory's been on three times. Dustin Johnson's been on. And uh, the one, the episode that has gotten us by far the most downloads, more than double of any other episode, was a parody episode that we did with the Club Pro guy last November. And it's just the podcast. I can't even explain how many downloads has gotten or how popular it's been. It kind of makes me question a lot of the other things that we're doing because <laughs> that one being the most popular might say a lot about uh, about the quality of the rest of them. But I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's kind of another one that kind of changed the game for us as far as getting us a whole lot of new subscribers. The third one that we did with Roy McElroy, where we finally got to sit down in person with them and spend two hours with them hearing stories and you know, a couple of the stories he told were so too good and they had to be cut out, unfortunately. But uh, that one sticks out a lot. But, you know, some, you know, one of the ones that's my favorite is one we recently just did with Max Homa, who uh, is now on his third stint on the PGA Tour. He just graduated from the Web Tour finals and his perspective on the struggles he's had and yet mixing in humor and funny stories. It was, you know, the people that actually downloaded that one. And it's not it's not one of our highest downloads ever, but People that have listened to it have said, you know what, they, this guy just made a fan out of me. I'm a fan of this guy. And that was kind of that doing an interview like that, as fun as it is to interview the top game, top players in the game, kind of hear listeners get invested and get excited about somebody that they didn't previously know. And just being in the way of bringing that to them. And I don't want to take any credit for it. We sat here and just let him tell stories. But like being able to bring that to people was really gratifying. And so that uh, an interview like that is probably what I would say. Something like that would be uh, would be my favorite one that we've ever done. I would absolutely agree with that. And I, you know, not only are you guys infusing a lot of fun into following golf, but you guys kind of exposing a larger audience to players that they may not have heard of and their stories is one of my favorite things that you guys do. So definitely enjoyed that one. And the Danielle Kang one was another <laughs> one of <laughs> our good. very favorite ones. We, she, she spent some time awesome. around here with with Cameron, and she is she's unbelievable. Yeah, very entertaining for sure. The LPGA, those those ladies, the, the stuff that we had to leave on the cutting room floor for the video purposes that was just not acceptable to put in a video. That was maybe some of the best stuff we've ever captured. Just get, those ladies are so much because. fun. Yeah, they, and they are, and and you know we we have a lot of LPGA clients, obviously Web.com clients. So you exposing some of that to a big audience is awesome. And and now we're obviously our kind of eyebrows perked up a little bit when with the Fred X Cup. I didn't know if you picked with the knowledge that you were picking an Altus Performance client and one of Cam's clients and Kramer Hickok. Did you realize that? That's why you mm. picked them, right? I, if, I, amazingly <laughs> enough, no, no, no. they auto-drafted my team. I was oh, flying no. to Paris. Don't tell, we won't tell Kramer oh, that. Yeah, we cannot tell Kramer, Kramer like, that. Listen, like, they told me my team, and I'm like, okay, like, all right, you guys are kidding. Like, this is not my team. Like, they auto-drafted a good one for you. Like, are you trying to give me the title here? I couldn't believe I got all these names. I was like, I know all these guys, actually. I thought you guys would stick me with something. You'd rig it in some way. Uh, I was really last minute was going to the Ryder Cup in Paris and I, I knew the draft was that night, but I had to miss it. And I said, all right, guys, just auto draft for me. 
And uh, man, I they, I, I got a stacked team, and uh, I'm happy to have uh, happy to have Kramer on board for sure. Yeah, well, he's looking for some gear. He's looking to see some support from you. I know whatever he wants. Exactly, just tell him. exactly. We'll make it happen. We'll yeah. make it happen. Well, man, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time. This is a conversation we were really looking forward to have. Definitely different than what we would normally we've done in the past, and we're fans of what you guys do. Obviously, we're going to be cheering hard for you, Team Solly, in the Fred X Cup. <laughs> There is an open invitation. Anytime you guys want to come down to Dallas, get some world-class coaching, head down to Dallas, and, and we'd love to spend some time with you there. Yeah, we definitely uh, look forward to collaborating on uh, fut- on some future things as well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Give me a, give me a chance to tell the story and uh, and for all the all the support on all the other fronts. If you ever ever need anything, just ple- please don't hesitate to ask. Thanks, Ellie. Absolutely. Anything <laughs> that we need to promote for you guys? I know there's a bunch of new merchandise. Any- anywhere that we should send the listeners to go check out? Uh, just watch Strapped. Our new series on YouTube has gone kind of... We knew it was good internally, and we laughed internally just knowing the characters in it. We were kind of wondering, like, is this people are going to love? It? I think people will love this, and the reaction has been been pretty amazing. We've got a lot of stuff pumping out on our YouTube channel. We'll have our our new season of Tourist Sauce is coming up here, um, where we went to Scotland and uh, ran around, had way too much fun over there. So all that time we put in that YouTube channel would uh, be greatly appreciated. If people check that out. So awesome. thanks for we're pushing that way. Max. Thanks for that opportunity. So and uh, and tell Kramer to, to just pick out exactly what he wants and it'll get him exactly what he wants. It's on its way. Awesome. Solly, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Cheers, you man. got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. <laughs>